O God of our salvation, your presence makes all the difference. Thank you for being with us. Amen. Sometimes, in order to understand a story, there is a central part of it that we just can't miss. Think about trying to understand the history of the United States without discussing the Civil War, or watching Star Wars without knowing the identity of Darth Vader, or having a healthy relationship with a spouse and not knowing anything about what their childhood was like. Some parts of the story are so integral that without those details, the whole story falls apart. Well, that's how central the story of the Exodus that we heard this morning is when it comes to our faith. All of Genesis and Exodus up to this point have been building towards this moment. And it would not be an exaggeration to say that the rest of the Old Testament is a reflection on and response to this saving event when God led the Hebrew people out of Egypt through the waters. The Exodus is the sun around which the Old Testament orbits. And throughout Scripture, God self-identifies as the one who led the people out of Egypt. The Exodus is also the antecedent to the central story of the New Testament, Easter. It's no accident that the Hebrew word for salvation used at the Exodus is Yeshua, which is the same name that we call upon for our salvation, Jesus. One theologian has put it this way, God is whoever raised Jesus from the dead after having first raised Israel out of Egypt. The story of the Exodus, it forms us and shapes us in our faith. And while I cannot cover all of that story this morning, I do want to point to a couple of really important parts for those of us who worship and follow the God of the Exodus. Now, as a very brief recap of how we got to this moment, three Sundays ago, we heard how the Hebrew people were growing in number in Egypt, and this was seen as a threat to that pharaoh. So he enslaved the people, ordered the genocide of all male children to try to slow down their growing population. Two Sundays ago, we heard about Moses, one of the Hebrew boys who escaped death, and his encounter with God at the burning bush. God told Moses to go to Pharaoh with the message, let my people go. But Pharaoh had a closed and hardened heart, and he did not let the people go. So God sent a series of plagues upon Egypt to try to soften Pharaoh's stance, but that didn't work either. So last Sunday, we heard about the Passover meal that precipitated the final plague against Egypt, the death of all the firstborn except for those Hebrews who celebrated a ritual meal by which death would pass over their homes that night. Well, that last plague, that got Pharaoh's attention, and he tells the Hebrews to get out. 
And so Moses is leading the people towards the promised land when Pharaoh's heart hardens again, realizing that his labor force and economy have just walked out. So Pharaoh and his army pursue Moses and the people, and that's where this morning's reading picks up in the story. So the first thing to point out is that pillar of cloud that we heard about. The cloud had been going before the people as a guide, showing them where to go. But then something changed. In front of the people was no longer the vast expanse of the wilderness, but rather in front of them was the sea. And remember, for the Hebrew people, the sea is more than a body of water. It's a symbol of chaos and death. So in front of them, the path is blocked. As many children know from a song about going on a bear hunt, you can't go over it, can't go under it, can't go around it. This pillar of cloud, it had been ushering the people, but all of a sudden it moves behind them. I don't know about you all, but if I'm following someone and that person ends up behind me, and what is in front of me is really scary, my intuition is to turn around, trace my steps back to where that guide is. Now, this is something that all leaders know. Sometimes you lead from the front, sometimes you lead from behind. But leading from behind takes a lot more mutual trust because the people have to trust that the leader is with them even when they cannot see the leader. But the leader also has to trust that the people are going to keep moving forward. Friends, I think that the church as a whole and St. Luke's as a parish are at a Red Sea sort of moment. Society has been becoming less religiously affiliated for a few generations. The pandemic accelerated those trends. It's something like climate change. For a while, those who wanted to deny the reality of it could deny it. But after this summer we've had, that's become an untenable position. It's the same thing in the church. One of the key metrics that churches use is called average Sunday attendance. In January 2020, ours was 165. Right now it sits at 122. That's a 25% decrease. And it's not just St. Luke's, it's pretty much every congregation, regardless of geography or denomination, is living with this reality. Now, I have lamented that the pandemic came at the worst possible time for us as a congregation. Leading into 2020, we were growing. We had a balanced budget. We had just had Catherine Meeks and Will Willimon here with us in November of 2019. We had debuted our Becoming Beloved Community documentary. We were planning for the next phase of that work. Things were going quite well. It felt like we had a pillar of cloud leading us confidently into further growth. Now, it wasn't the Red Sea that we came to, but a pandemic that halted our forward progress. What ultimately saved the people was the Holy Spirit. Exodus tells us that a strong wind blew all night, paving the way forward. Wind and spirit are the same word in Hebrew. So we can say it was the spirit that provided the way out of this situation. 
I've said several times in sermons over the past couple of months that I firmly believe that the Spirit is up to something, that the Spirit is not done with us. Now, one way that we could view all of these changes that are happening in the church would be to read this as the downward spiral of decline. We could see that sea in front of us as the inevitable waters of secularism, the armies behind us as things like youth sports, brunch, a work-life balance that's just gotten out of whack, where Sunday mornings become the casualty as people try to catch up on chores or sleep. And if that's how we view our situation, when that cloud seems to move behind us, it can be really tempting to think that we need to stop moving forward and try to go back. That's one of the greatest temptations there is in the church, the glorification of the past. We've all heard that story before. I remember when the Sunday school rooms were full. I remember when the liturgy and the bulletin were exactly how I liked them. I remember when the church never did anything to rock the boat. The temptation for us is to say, I don't see anything guiding us ahead of us. But it seems like there's something back there. So let's go backwards. Next week, we will hear the newly liberated people make that exact suggestion. They say, things weren't that bad in Egypt, were they? Let's go back. But the way forward is ahead of us. The Holy Spirit is not finished with us. It's just the changes that the church needs to make are scary. Like wading into the Red Sea. And we were never going to take those steps on our own. Even if we knew that the Spirit was leading us into a new era, we were not ready to follow. And so the Holy Spirit moved behind us to nudge us, pushing us forward. Don't turn back. We have to keep going. What do I mean by that? Honestly, I'm not sure where the Spirit is leading us, because by design, when someone's leading from behind, you don't exactly know where the destination is. You only know what you're supposed to do for the next couple of steps. Keep going, turn left, turn right. And so we are preparing ourselves for what the Spirit is bringing into focus. That's why our emphasis as a parish right now is on doing things to make us ready to respond to the Spirit's nudges. It's why we focus on intentional worship and lively prayers so we can be alert and attentive to what God is up to. It's why we're getting ready for a really important stewardship campaign so that we will be resourced to go when the Spirit tells us to go. It's why we're focusing on beloved community and fellowship because when the Spirit tells us to go, we go together. Not as individuals, but we go as a beloved community. It's why we are focused on engaging our community more. To welcome all into this movement towards being a church that follows, acts, and looks like Jesus. This is what it means to wait for the Lord. It's not passive waiting, it's active. It's something like waiting for a child to be born. That's not passive. No, we are putting things in place so that when something new emerges, 
we are ready to receive that opportunity with open minds and hands. And based on this central story of our faith, we know that there will be a spirit-blazed path ahead of us. God makes a way out of no way. That is what the Exodus proclaims. Whether they be actively hostile atheists, apathetic agnostics, or just a distracted and busy society that can't find the space for church. When the enemies of the church look at us, they might think they're never going to survive this decline. When it seems that hope is lost, when it seems that our greatest days are behind us, that is precisely the moment that the Spirit stirs up the waters and gives us a path ahead. Psalm 124 is one of the many places in Scripture that remembers God's salvation. In part, it reads, If the Lord had not been on our side, let Israel now say, If the Lord had not been our side when our enemies rose up against us, then would they have swallowed us up alive. Then would the waters have overwhelmed us. Then would the raging waters have gone right over us. But blessed be the Lord who has not given us over to them. Even when we have failed leadership, or impossible decisions to face, or untrusting doubts, or selfish stubbornness, or grief over things that are changing, or hardened hearts, or fearful resistance, God remains on our side. One day, I hope and pray that the church will sing Psalm 124 anew. If the Lord had not been on our side, let the church now say, when the budgets were tightening, when the pews were emptying, when the doubts were rising, then would demise have been our story. But blessed be the Lord who made a way out of no way for us. Now, as is always the case, the story of the Exodus, of the resurrection of our deliverance, it's a story of grace. Just before today's passage begins, God said, I will fight for you. You have only to keep still. I will gain glory for myself over Pharaoh. Because what would have happened if the people had tried to fight Pharaoh there? Well, this would be the last chapter of Exodus, because the story would have ended right there. God tells the people to keep still. Salvation is God's work. The people do not earn this salvation. They don't make it possible. This is God's doing. Now, I know that I like to be in control. It's simply the human condition. It's difficult to stand still, as God commands us to do. It's tempting to work ourselves into a frenetic, anxious, reactionary panic about all of this. The church could respond in this moment by trying to build a bridge across that sea. We could try all sorts of, let's throw it at the wall and see what sticks, sort of ministries, instead of waiting for God to move the sea. We could fight against secularism and modernity, but that's a battle we will lose because it's not a battle that we have been called to fight. We could try to reinvent ourselves and become something completely new, but then what would be left to save? 
To be sure, the Hebrew people, even if they did not create their salvation, they still participated in it. Because when the sea opened up, they had to walk through it. But before that moment arrived, they had to be patient as they waited on the Lord to show them the way ahead. And they had to be poised, ready to respond, meaning they had to be attentive and prepared to move when the Spirit nudged them. And they had to be courageous to step into that very chaos that they had been trying to avoid. Yes, they made it through on dry ground, but they still had to walk through the sea. And by grace, they made it to the other side. As we think and pray about what it means to be the church in this moment, we would do well to attend to cultivating a posture of active patience, to becoming poised to act, to summoning up the courage to walk into uncharted waters. Because just as surely as God raised Jesus from the dead after having first raised Israel out of Egypt, the Spirit is paving a way forward for us.